morning welcome to your favorite podcast and not mine don't feed the artists i'm hagen <laughs> i'm baby squirrel <laughs> okay <laughs> that, that was strange i i'm gonna need a little description there i don't yeah i don't you're adam i'm jackson I, I, yeah i was gonna say i'm adam this is also not my favorite podcast but thanks for listening <laughs> and dave's not here today no, so. I'm here. I've just uh, I've just changed my name to uh, Baby Squirrel. Yeah, you got to explain this. It's at the beginning of Treasure. Oh, oh, yeah. Come on, guys. Did you listen to the records? Yeah, unfortunately, I yeah, did. Yeah, I, I think we all did. <laughs> Doing Bruno Mars today. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> we did. Did Jackson introduce himself? <laughs> I right, heard, let's back I just, up, guys. I just heard him question Yeah, I there we go. I only listen to Australian podcasts, and I <laughs> technically listen to this ep- or this podcast because I edit it after we record. Because so. you have to. Because like you have to. I do like this podcast. It's just it's just not my favorite podcast. Be- it, w- it would be weird if, if the podcast I was on was my yeah. favorite podcast, wouldn't it? Wouldn't bit. that be a strange thing? Yeah, I guess that's fair. I do think uh, I do like the music I write. So if it's similar to like podcasting, like, you know, yeah, you gotta but is, like the music here, right? Especially yeah. when you have the moderate level of success that we do. But is Moniker your favorite band? In some ways, yes. Okay, I guess that's fair. I guess okay, that's a fair answer. I I just I just couldn't ever say that my a project I was a part of is my favorite anything. Uh, but you know, uh, I I I I'm I'm taking us to places we don't need to be taken. Um, we are, t- <laughs> that's an old reference, uh, when Adam misspoke and definitely not me. Yep. <laughs> it's always definitely Adam, it. isn't it? Today, today we are doing a deep dive on Bruno Mars, otherwise known as Peter Jean Hernandez. I, if, listen, if you're listening to this and don't know who Bruno Mars is, I'm surprised. Uh, Bruno Mars is, has been, uh, around and very popular since 2010, uh, and when I say very popular, I mean just like not only are his songs hits, but he's been a part of a number of hits, uh, and he's written a number of hits that he's not even on. So if you haven't heard of him, um, maybe just pause for one second and just go Spotify him and then realize, oh, I have heard Bruno Mars. Yeah, he's one of those artists. I mean, if you've heard CeeLo Green's song, Forget You, then that's Bruno Mars. Did you censor that? Did you just censor the song Fuck You? Dude, stop telling me off. <laughs> this is not my favorite podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So we have three albums that we're going through today because Bruno Mars, you know, he's been releasing music for just over a decade now. And uh, each of these three albums, so we don't have to go through it every single time, is like 30 minutes long. So if you wanted to listen to his whole discography, excluding, you know, the features and the if by the time you are listening to this, that Silk Sonic record is out, excluding those, uh, you can listen to it in an hour and a half, which the way I listened to this was an album a day. And then today, before we recorded, I listened to all three albums in a row. And it was completely doable uh, for people who like Bruno Mars. Yeah, and I mean, and, and it's it's one of those things that's really cool. We'll get into it more. I thought is that like uh, for most of these albums, half of them are singles. 
uh, roughly. I mean, it's like half of these songs are like perfectly designed pop songs and will get stuck in your head forever. And I'm stuck now in a Bruno Mars loop that I just can't seem to get out of. I listen to other music like in in between these albums, I've listened to other music and I still am just like humming Bruno Mars all day. I can't stop. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's just like, God. Well, and he said uh, about how short his records are. He said, if you can't, if I can't pull you in with nine songs, I'm not going to do it with 19. So he likes to keep it short and sweet. I think that's a really good point. I mean, there's something to be said for really well packaged pop songs. That's a really hard thing to do. Well, I think I think that's why all of these songs could have been singles, even if only half of them are, because every album has what five of the songs were released as singles. Yeah, yeah between like four that. and six. I don't I don't think all of them could be singles, but uh, I I I think I think they chose usually the right amount for each one. Um, but yeah, I mean it's there, there are a couple a couple of ones that stick out on the albums, but we'll get into it. So just like a quick overview, uh, Peter Hernandez. Uh, Peter Jean Hernandez was born in Hawaii, um, born to a family of musicians. Um, his father, Nick, named him Bruno because of his resemblance to a wrestler named Bruno. Um, and yeah, so family of singers, and he joins his family band, and he uh, uh, quickly you know, starts to you know, fall in love with Elvis, Michael Jackson, I mean, it's he's raised in this perfect musical household of just like the right influences. It's it's pretty it's pretty wild um, to think about how lucky that is. But then also, so he's one of six kids. Could you imagine being Bruno Mars's sibling and just being like, oh, how did he? How I want to be that one. Why wasn't I that one? Did you watch uh, any of the early interviews when he was a young kid on like Arsenio Hall and he was interviewed by Polly Shore at one point when he was a young, young kid? Yeah, was that in like 92, right? 92 yeah. he was interviewed? Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, he's you can see it already. He was a little shy, but like he was, as soon as he started performing on the Arsenio Hall show, it was like, oh, there's Bruno Mars doing a killer Elvis impression. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, how, how, how shy was he, Dave, really? Tell us how shy he really, or nervous he was as a kid. Uh, he seemed really, really nervous. He was so nervous, in fact, at one point during, uh, I can't, what is that? I can't. Can't help falling in love. Can't help falling in love. He he wet himself, and his parents thought, oh, no, we made a big mistake. <laughs> and at that point, his siblings were he like, we gigs, got this. Like what, like two gigs a night, five nights a week or something like that? Yeah. At a very young age? Yeah, he was at least performing, at least performing five times a week. Uh, five, yeah, five days a week in the band he was performing. Uh, so yeah, he was, I mean, he is gigging more than, uh, I usually am when the world's open. So busy, busy little kid, very, very impressive. Um, and I mean, it just, just like you wonder, I mean, I personally, I, I see a lot of kids who are musically talented and they, they need like, you know, obviously they, they need to be taught some stuff to learn more, but I wonder like how just straight up talented he was when he was born and truly how much he like had to be taught and how much he didn't just figure out and just have down. Cause like, I'm sure we've all seen those kids who are just naturally talented at something and barely need help learning anything. I wonder if he was like that or if his parents like truly guided him into where it needed to be. I mean, there had to be some sort of guidance at least, but uh, is he the youngest of all of his siblings? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's so common in young children to just assume that they should be able to do what their older siblings are doing. So there's a, there's a, you know, more of a push to just be naturally good. And also 
just the natural talent thing is unbelievable. He was playing smaller versions of like drums and guitar and I think ukulele as well. At a, also at a very young age and doing Elvis impressions. He was the youngest Elvis impersonator, uh, Michael Jackson impressions. Yeah. He's like still doing the Michael Jackson impressions like perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. Here's this thing. Uh, I remember like when he came out, uh, in 2010 when his first record came out and everyone was saying, including people like my dad were saying like, Oh, he's the next Michael Jackson. And I don't know what it is with like people into pop music who are obsessed with like finding the quote unquote next Michael Jackson. But I wish it would stop because, you know, it was Bruno Mars was the first one I heard of. And then it was the weekend after that. And who knows who it'll be next. It's just, man, I hate that mindset. It's just always like putting these people in those shoes yeah, and you, like we'll see throughout his career, the release of these three records, a lot of people are comparing him to a lot of these artists and, in fact, complaining that he doesn't really seem to have a personality himself. Like, this is what the critics are saying, that he lacks original stuff and is just an amalgamation of all of his influences, which is like, isn't that what we all are? Yeah, it's it's a little bit more distinct sometimes, though, on some of these songs. It's like... Oh, that's the song where you were influenced by this musician, like, super obviously. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but I would say that in the case of his music, it it, it honestly is like, hey, um, when was the last time this was ever in pop music? When was the last time, like, anything related to reggae or soul or anything like that was in the pop, like, sphere? Like he he might be heavily influenced and obviously by certain by certain people, but him bringing that into like the mainstream now is incredibly impressive. And to pull that off in a way like like he does, I mean, clearly it's just it like I mean, he's writing so much of this. I mean, it's him. It's him. It's what's crazy. Uh, you know, the perseverance I would say comes from his rough childhood. After his parents split, like I read that he was they lived on like the hood of a car uh they slept on a roof uh there were other things that i can't remember right now but it wasn't smooth sailing yeah yeah and i mean he definitely worked his ass off once it came time to be in the in the in the business uh he he eventually moves to los angeles and sorry if i'm jumping too far ahead but he he signs a contract with motown records which uh goes nowhere uh, big old nowhere. I read that and and I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, cool. But in hindsight, I bet Motown's like, fuck. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's like that's a that's a big old fuck. What what have we done? What have we done here? Um, and then he tried with Will I Am's management, uh, and that also didn't turn out great. Um, so. I mean, and, and I mean, just imagine you're like you finally made it to LA, and you're trying and you're trying. I mean, you, you're gonna, you're definitely gonna fail, but like you sign two contracts that then that are like that are like look good, right? I mean, you sign a contract with Motown Records, and then suddenly it just doesn't happen. It's like it doesn't work out. That's that that's even I would say that on some level that's worse than just straight up rejection. That's just that's that's worse than just like no, we're not calling you back for this like for the for the callback or we don't want to actually deal with you. Like just the straight up no is good, but like okay, here, sign this contract and now fuck you after that. Yeah, well, and a lot of artists get stuck in that where they just end up not being able to do anything and have trouble getting out of their contracts. 
Yeah, that sounds like the amalgamations of a really good local press kit of, I've worked with Motown, I've worked with Will I Am, but when you actually look up the person, it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, you haven't. So he, he, he keeps trying. He keeps trying. Um, and he's making his way through the scene. Uh, he's meeting more and more people. And eventually he finds his way um, into better hands, I guess. Um, I don't, I, I don't, it doesn't, it, it seemed a little strange to me because I, it seems like he's finding his way, but it still is like, it doesn't seem like it's just right yet. Um, right. As I was reading this, I, I, I kind of felt like, I don't, I mean, he's getting work and he's doing stuff and he's writing, but it's also, I feel like we're, I mean, obviously we're not there yet to where he's successful, but it's like nothing still is like, no one's recognizing this guy's talent just yet the way they should. Right. And he, he meets up with this guy who's like teaching him how to write songs and write actual pop hits instead of just being able to write songs themselves. And he basically decides to start writing music for other artists. And that's kind of how he gets his foot really into the door, which we've seen happen with like Sia and I'm sure many other artists where they're behind the the curtain writing these hit songs and then end up going, well, hold on a second. Why am I not doing this for myself? Yeah, you got tons of those. You got Charlie XCX, you got Jack Antonoff, Ryan Tedder. There are tons of examples of that, of people who now have these bands or careers of their own. Is this around the time where he creates that uh, kind of production team? The Smeezingtons? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan of his naming styles, but maybe that's just because I live a different life than him. Yeah, uh uh, it's 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 about this time he starts he starts to you know get more work write songs for other people and he forms the Smeezingtons um, and the Smeezingtons are his like production group behind a lot of the stuff that I mean I think the Smeezingtons have credits on like his whole first album. Yeah, the producers in the first album were uh, the Smeezingtons, uh, Needles, and I think it's Supa Dupes or Supa Dups. I like Supa Dups. The way I interpreted this period is what ends up happening is this production team, the Smeezingtons, wrote some really big songs and then this put Bruno on those songs, you know, the songs from B.O.B., Nothing on You, Billionaire with Travi McCoy, and then they saw that there was this demand for Bruno Mars and the record label that they were on, uh, basically said hey um you can go ahead and put bruno mars's solo album on the front burner like go ahead and do that you have six months to get us that record so they basically within six months wrote that record recorded and released it is the way that i understood that story yeah it was a little confusing because it said the label gave them six months and then uh it it looked like it was like uh, instead the label said actually you have to do this in a month Jesus. And so they were able to turn out the first... Was that the EP or the the first record? The actual first record? Yeah, it was the first... It was the first, first record. record. Yeah. 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 Doo-wops and Hooligans. Now we're in... Uh, it was released October 4th, 2010. As I said, it was produced by the Smeezingtons, Needles, Suppadups? Suppadups. Uh, Adam mentioned before that each album had quite a bit of singles. This one had six it had just the way you are grenade the lazy song talking to the moon marry you and count on me and this record was officially released on myspace 
Wow. I remember when this album came out and all of my friend group, like I was hanging out with what you could call bros at the time. And I remember everyone was obsessed with it. And I would really call this like bro pop because it just like, it really encompassed the whole attitude of the friend groups that I was in at the time who like named themselves like stuff like the sneezing tens is like, Oh, that they would name their crew, that kind of stuff. And it was just a bunch of white kids doing dumb shit like that. That being said, I knew listening through this record, I knew all of the songs except for maybe two of them. And I was really enjoying it. There are to anyone who ever says that like pop doesn't change ever. I just listened to this album compared to pop. Now it is completely different. And you're like, Whoa, this is crazy. And a little fun fact is the song count on me was a regular mainstay in my acoustic gigs that I used to play in, um, a little frozen yogurt shops. Cause at the time, Frozen yogurt shops were everywhere, and that's uh, where I used to gig when I first started playing shows. As a, as a, as a Bruno Mars impersonator? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's good. But yeah, I mean, at that time, you had, like, the top charts were, like, Kesha with the song TikTok and Need You Now, Lady Antebellum. Train was on the top ten <laughs> and with uh, Hey Soul Sister. So, like, you know, that song fits with what's going on in the top 10 at that yeah. time well and on top of that um I, I think one of the he got compared to certain people around this time and to really date who he was getting compared to at, around this time was people said that he was a jason mraz ripoff <laughs> jesus yeah i mean that's I, like people saying uh john mayer is is like ripping off jack johnson i think that was a thing at one point and it's like really it's also like one of those has fallen out of the limelight significantly. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that like with with these songs, it's some of them some of them do fit into that era, but some of them also I mean, I, I, I truly think listening to this album that he made his this this obviously it made his mark, but it made his mark as like, look, I can do whatever I want to and I can make it work. Um the the one kind of negative thing i'll say about this album aside from like just not liking some of the songs as much as others is that this album if you change some of the lyrics only some of them it's sounds like it could be a song like an album written just for children like a children's (laughs) music album Uh, so i I just want to go ahead and agree with you there hagan and i really enjoyed this the first listen through and after listening to the second uh the second and third album it really tainted my view on this album, and I realized, oh, I was just enjoying this because of nostalgia. And, man, one thing about Bruno Mars is everything he does, he is goofy, and he just feels like a cheese ball. Like, he's just, like, yeah. a goofy dude. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, like, there, there's, like, some of these, like, I, I mean, Grenade, Just the Way You Are, what a great, what a great start to the album. Holy shit. And then our first time, I'm like, this has to stop. This, yeah. this, this, I this, felt exactly the same way. What the fuck am I listening to? Yeah, having fucking CeeLo Green and B.O.B., which are now just these questionable characters in music, it, it, it's definitely a dated album. Is CeeLo Green questionable? I mean, he's not as popular as he was. Oh, see, I thought you were talking... So, like, B.O.B. is, like, a flat earther. 
So I thought that CeeLo Green had done something similar to that. I thought that's what you meant, like that kind oh, of questionable. I have questionable. no idea about that. I thought he was just referencing the... I mean, he, he's got a section on uh, Wikipedia about controversies, so it's probably not great. Okay, all right. Well, but who knows? Uh, whatever. Also on that song with CeeLo Green and B.O.B., Patrick Stump is on that song from Fall Out what? Boy. Yeah. <laughs> Random. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, seriously, like, like, like this, this album is is really cool. But like, I got to, I got to Lazy Song, and I remember whenever I first heard Lazy Song, like ten years ago or eleven years ago, whatever, and I was like, man, this song is annoying. And then halfway through it, I found myself just like going with it and like just <laughs> bouncing along. And that's when it clicked that this is made for children because it's like it's so catchy. It's not, it's, it's, it's not necessarily bad. It's just like, oh my god, this is this is simply just designed for a little kid to truly enjoy which is great that's awesome it's pop magic that also makes sense why it it works like as a pop album like all of these songs are mostly at least things that i had already heard but i'd never listened to this album before right right like jackson said before it's like you know most of the songs yeah before you even hear the record man it's so it paints really large swaths uh in the pop world so that like what you're saying hagan is like kids can listen to just the way you are and really like it uh, and then not even really think about like a lot of these songs are just about sex and yep. not even like covertly about sex. They're, They're just, just about like, they sex. Literally overtly say, yeah. I'm chill. I'm going to have some really nice sex. And it's just like, man, you could have, you know, been a little more nuanced with that take. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like people like my dad love this type of stuff. My dad is super, is a super huge fan of pop music like this and that ocean cake song when that came out. And guess what? Was obsessed with Uptown Funk when that came out. Who, yeah. Wait, Ocean Bruno Cake Mars or on? Cake by the Ocean? Cake by the Ocean. Yeah, whatever it's called. <laughs> for my, from <laughs> keep on hoping we'll have Ocean Cake. <laughs> Dude, I want Ocean Cake for my birthday this year. I want some Ocean Cake. But yeah, so uh, he throws everything in on this record. There are some ballads. There's there's a reggae tune. I guess you could call it like a pop reggae with Damian Marley, uh, which was. That kind of surprised me. I hadn't heard that one. Yeah, I hadn't. I hadn't heard that, but I thought that was a you know cool song to just yeah. kind of show up at the end and like be something I hadn't heard of. I thought. I thought. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it didn't come out of nowhere. I thought Damian Marley came out of nowhere, and that was cool. I thought the reggae was kind of our first time has that reggae thing with it. So when this when this one started, I was like, oh, it's the reggae thing again. And then I was like, oh, this actually feels better though. This isn't the weird our first time like uncomfortableness of a song. <laughs> well yeah, it has Bob Marley's son. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I will say that listening to this album for the most part, I think when I first put it on, it was like, this is all just nostalgia for me. Like, oh I forgot about Grenade. I forgot about Runaway Baby. I forgot about Count on Me. The only song that I was like just anticipating was Marry You, which is my favorite song on this album. To this day, before we even agreed to do this deep dive, like I regularly am singing that song and just humming it because it's such a catchy and just kind of, it's a dumb, you know, content of a song and just super catchy. Yeah, my favorite song is uh, Count On Me. I think the, you know, while it is like an adult nursery rhyme, the, just everything about that song is perfect. The lyric, the core, the way the chorus happens, the post-chorus where he's just doing the little humming thing, the ooh thing. It's it's all just candy to your ears. It just feels like honey. It works really well. And by the way, on that song, uh, he's you know playing with his falsetto, and as you guys all know, he's an amazing multi instrumentalist, but an incredible singer and performer on that. And 
you know, I'm, I'm not saying everyone can do it well, but everybody can sing in their falsetto to some extent. But what Bruno Mars does really well that, you know, when I'm singing with him uh, along with a track, I think about it and I'm like, damn, how does he do that? When he does the really high falsetto notes, he does this like rasp where it's kind of like he's singing it really loud, but like it, it comes out so clean. It's really hard to explain, but you know exactly what it is. It's that kind of little Richard yell, but up in a falsetto. It's crazy. Yeah, he, he really does. I mean, I think I could talk about his voice forever. Um, his his voice, I think, sticks out. For anyone who, who says what you're saying earlier, Adam, about like uh, maybe doesn't have like his own personality, doesn't like stick out because he's so influenced, it's like his voice is enough. Like fuck the way, fuck whatever he writes, fuck who, whatever song he's on. He's gonna sound better than most people, and he's gonna be able to hit basically any note you want. And yeah, he's got he's got a four octave range or something like that. Yeah, it's it's he's insanely impressive with his voice. Um, and you know, I think I, I, I like going back to however many weeks ago when we talked about the Grammys and talked about the lip syncing thing. I think that I will always like watch his performances and go, he's not lip syncing because like there's just I mean he's just that good. He's that good to make it sound. Like I remember, I think I think it might have been the Super Bowl. I don't think he lip synced at the Super Bowl in 2014. I'm pretty sure that was him, and he sounded. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. It's not it's not fair. Like it's so he's just so good. The guy oozes confidence. I mean, when you watch his uh, just performance for the Super Bowl when it was just him, oozes confidence. And then when you also watch the Coldplay Super Bowl when he performed with Mark Ronson, and then. Beyonce comes out and does formation. It's kind of this back and forth. And then he performs right next to Beyonce. I mean, that takes balls to like do what he was doing right next to like one of the greatest performers of our time. And yeah, I mean, he nails it. I mean, he is on par with her the whole time. Yeah. That's no easy feat. So that's the thing is you would, you would think that early on these labels like Motown and I, I don't know who else tried to sign him, but it's like, they would have just been on board for his voice but a lot of the criticism that he got from this record was that they just they said that he tried too hard to have too many styles on the record and his label I don't know if it was for this one or the next one but the label basically was like hey your your music sucks uh what was it your music sucks uh, you don't know who you are you're all over the place and we don't know how to market this stuff pick a lane and come back to us that was for the next record and it's like really what's what about his voice is that not enough yeah, yeah. that's kind of on them if they can't figure out how to market it what's also crazy is like think about other pop records like like if we like take another extreme like britney spears first album right that just sounded like the same song the entire time exactly so would, would uh, you... for basically six records out of nine records that she has it's so strange to me that like I mean, I guess in terms of marketing an album, they just want singles, but this album gives you singles. It gave, them, gave you six singles. So I don't understand what the issue is if there's, like, these songs that are a little bit off the track when you could offer, like, some variety in an album just a little bit instead of, like, hey, do you want to hear Toxic the entire album? Because that's what you're going to get. <laughs> well, and, and like, if I would think if I were a label head, it'd be, like, having one song on, you know, R&B radio and one song on reggae radio, like a re reggae station, one song on like a pop station, one song on a rock station, that would be even better advertising for the artist and the label itself. Yeah, and I, I do want to add to my uh, bro pop genre comment uh, that this album is named 
doo-wops and hooligans. And the reason behind that is a very bro response as that he uh, crafted this album to have songs for the ladies and songs for the guys. Obviously, the doo-wops are for the ladies and the hooligans part is for the guys because the guys like to get wild. (sighs) I mean, just a very bro response to why you name a song or an album that. That's uh, that's 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 very true. That is that is pretty. I think there are moments uh, throughout this entire like deep dive. I, I listen to his lyrics and I'm like, God, I wish he didn't do that. I wish he would have chosen so many other options. But uh, and, and I, I don't know. He's he's he still just well, sounds so. He's good. like lyrically Rebecca Black and musically Stevie Wonder. <laughs> there you go. You nailed it. Lyrically a four. <laughs> lyrically a fourteen year old. <laughs> <laughs> a 14 year old teenage girl oh i love that okay so so uh, uh real quick i'm gonna take us into our game i struggled with this game a lot because i i, I found that there's all these fun facts about bruno mars but they're just like did you know that he was named after a wrestler and then i kind of looked into like his like writing with other artists and everybody kind of just had the same kind of shit to say about him like uh he's great to work with like CeeLo had a story about how uh, he went to the bathroom and never came back whenever they wrote fuck you. But it's like, <laughs> what do you want me to do with that for a game, motherfucker? Give me some content, bitch. Which room did Bruno Mars go in in a session with CeeLo Green and never come back? Was it A, the bathroom? <laughs> no, no, CeeLo did that. CeeLo went to the bathroom oh. and then just and then just didn't come back. <laughs> yeah, you could just made that a true-false. I guess. But and then we all would have got it. But, but I feel like instead I should I should uh, I should push us a little bit more with the game. So the game is simply just can you finish the line? I'm just gonna say a line from from a Bruno Mars song, and if you get it right, I'm just gonna keep going. I'm gonna give you another line after that, um, and then we'll just we'll just and, and especially if you uh, sorry not especially if you get the song name correct, you get extra points as well. Cool. Everyone okay. good with that? All right. So our first one, your first line is. Oh, her eyes, her eyes. Uh, I don't know it. I don't fucking know. It's I fucking don't know. Make no the idea. star make the stars look like they're not shining. Her hair, her hair. Wait, did he? Did Jackson get it right? He got he, it right. Really? <laughs> yeah. All right, Jackson. This is all you. No. So the next line. So so you got her, her eyes, her eyes. Make the stars look like they're not shining. Her hair, her hair. Something perfect. I don't know. Yeah, you're so close. Falls perfectly without her. Without trying. trying. Yeah. Without yeah. trying. And then do you know the last line of the, that, that the last line of that right there? She's so beautiful. And I tell her every day. Boom. What's the what's the song? That's obviously just the way you are. Boom. Jackson kills it. Jackson gets three points. Turns out Jackson is a super fan. As I said, this was a very nostalgia album. As you see, this is about as positive as, a, as it's going to get. If you are a genuine <laughs> music fan, I would stop here and only listen to that first album. That was a bit too harsh. Let's move that on. Was, yeah. That was a yeah. bit too harsh. That was very harsh. <laughs> Not just a little bit. So then, so then we go into his next album, Unorthodox Jukebox. Jackson, why is this one named what it is? Do you know? No clue. I listened to the music on this and decided I'm I don't need to know anymore. Really? Uh, well, isn't it because he decided that he wanted it to be even more varied to lean further into having different styles? I mean, after yeah. the first record, he was like, "I'm going to take my time on this record. It'll be done when it's done." 
and uh, he wanted to have the luxury to go into the studio and go, today I want to make a rock song. Today I want to make an R&B song. I mean, I don't know if that's why it's named that, but it definitely fits with you saying that. Well, that, I mean, yeah, that's, if that's why it's named it, that's, that makes perfect sense with the music um, and, and, and with the way it kind of goes out. Uh, I think I, I think that this album for me, it honestly just felt like the like not knowing with the time when I was listening to it, all of the stuff about his labels being like, no, you you need to you know not sound so different other songs and people telling him you 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 don't sound like a you have your own voice or whatever individual enough, whatever it might be. This album just felt like the like the perfect continuation for him. It didn't feel like anything other than like he wrote the second part of the first one. Like <laughs> that's what it yeah, felt it didn't, like. It didn't feel different. It just felt like more of the same thing. Yeah. But like also it's just as well done as the other album. Obviously the the time that they put into it shows even if it's not you know what I wanted more of was just more of the first album which wasn't the case. I could have told you this without even looking at the wikipedia but production wise it sounds like oh uh mark ronson walked in the room and fucking punches you in the face that's what it sounds like <laughs> yeah but he didn't he whether didn't you do... like that or not i i personally find mark ronson's production style kind of cheesy and over the top but if you're super into that if you like uptown funk i mean this is for you, this kind of production style. If you like Amy Winehouse, this is you. He only he only did three of the songs on this album, and he, did, he didn't even do my favorite, which I, I don't think anyone could touch my favorite except for Bruno Mars, but we'll get into that. Um, Dave, what did you think about this album? I thought it was great. Uh, I remember playing some of the songs. The singles were Locked Out of Heaven, When I Was Your Man, Treasure, Gorilla, and Young Girls. Um, I still play Locked Out of Heaven and Treasure pretty regularly. I've been playing them since this record came out in 2012, and I'm not tired of them at all. I think it's great. I, I, like Everything he touches is gold. Every song, even if you don't particularly like the song, it's all just really well-written pop music. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think Gorilla is probably the song that confuses me the most. Why is it always track three? Why is that? <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, when that song came on, I was unsure of where the rest of the album was going to go. <laughs> so I I just discovered this song this year. I remember in a fugue state, I was asleep and my partner said, hey, remember, because uh, she stays up way later than me, and she said something, hey, remember that time when Bruno Mars released that song about fucking like gorillas? And I was like, you're fucking with me. That's not a real song. <laughs> and then she played it for me, and I was in that half-fugue state when you just wake up, and I was like, this is not real. And I still don't find, I, I just don't think that's a real song. And I'm, I'm not even going to talk about it too much because I don't just want to shit on it because I'm sure people like it. But what it feels like is if you watch um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Craig Robinson's character, Doug Judy, it sounds like he wrote a song and it became a really big pop song or any of Craig Robinson's characters. Because it's just like, what is he talking about? Fucking like gorillas? And by the way, go to the YouTube video for this uh, song and read the comments. I had a solid like two hours of fun reading that. There is all these people <laughs> saying stuff like, oh man, I want to lose my virginity to this song. There's somebody <laughs> who's saying like, there's this car scene where he's obviously like, you know, getting sexual with a woman. And the it's this weird lengthy comment that's just like, you're not telling me that Bruno did not have bodily functions during that scene. I heard there's a director's cut and I was just like, what the fuck is this song? 
Yeah. It's a bad song. That's why there's a gorilla on the album cover. It's it's just it's just such a weird song to like like I, I don't like I looked at the song list and I, I guess I recognized the song title, but I, it didn't really click with me. But I was like, oh, cool. Young Girls, Lots Out of Heaven, Gorilla, okay. And then Treasure. And then, uh, I mean, like you said, Adam, Gorilla comes on. And it's like, what? Like, uh, what am I? Yeah, it's, I, I it's know like, Treasure's. Where, where are we going now? Yeah, it's... I know Treasure's next, but how are we getting there? How are we getting to this next pop gold after Gorilla? It's very strange. And I think this song, Gorilla, is what immediately switched in my brain. This like, oh my God, this man is so cheesy when he's talking about (laughs) sex. When you listen to, sorry to bring up Beyonce again, but when you listen to Beyonce talk about sex and uh, in her music, it is uh, from an empowerment standpoint and just this thing that's uh, notoriously we allow men to have and not uh, women to have sexuality. And just taking that and being empowered by it. But when you listen to Bruno Mars talking about it, it's literally like, your sex takes me to paradise. We're going to have some really nice sex. Let's fuck like gorillas. It's so cheesy and just like, man, get more nuance. <laughs> well, it's again, like his lyrics are very basic, but that doesn't really matter because, you know, his voice is great. So that doesn't doesn't factor in. Everybody looks past that. Yeah, I mean, the, the lyric, I didn't know that that song was about sex up until until we did this deep dive i just was listening to the music which i think is really cool yeah the music is is absolutely insane like i mean like uh, going away from his voice and i want to get into it more on the next album but listening to just any of the instrumentals on these albums is just it's it's just a treat it's just a treat like it's played so well it's put together so well uh it's it's truly amazing um i i i remember and I, I, it's so crazy how, like, like you said earlier, Jackson, the nostalgia of these albums. But like, locked out of heaven, treasure, whatever. I heard when I was your man, and I remembered that I was obsessed with this song for like a while, and now I'm obsessed <laughs> with it again, and it's really problematic. I like, I cannot stop. This song is, I, I, I think, I think it's just beautiful. I think it's just a beautiful song. I think it's the, I like the lyrics are cheesy, but I do think it is like a better example of of his of his lyrical ability um kind of just like framing certain things instead of just saying like sex you know it's <laughs> it's it's a little bit it's a little bit uh more i mean this is this is his best ballad by far and it's my favorite song of his it's it's just such a good song i'm gonna listen to it again right now yeah it's a it, it's just a great record for me I, I again i think he can't miss but again his all the critics and his label were like, dude, where the fuck do you fit? We don't know where to put you. Uh, I think it was even more evident on this album that, I mean, all the songs are good, but as an album, I didn't like it because none of it fits really. And it just seemed like he was just kind of like, you know, role playing through all of his influences, which is cool. Like it's all really well done, but it feels like he doesn't know who he is. And that just feels weird. Right. And a lot of times, Artists, when they come out with their first big major label release, will have a lot of different versions of that band on the first record. And then the second record kind of takes a more, I don't know, pointed approach to what the album is going to be. Yeah, you figure out where you're going. Yeah, he didn't do that. He just, this could have been a double record. I think I, I I think this is this is a pointed approach to who he is though because he he is an amalgamation of all of these influences and maybe one song does feel more this way than the other 
but I think that that's just how he writes and who he is. I mean, that's uh, I think that's an incredible talent in itself to just be like, today I will write a song like Michael Jackson. Today I will write a rock. Write song. a song like The Police. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like that's that's a very it's a very impressive thing one to do, and two, fuck your label if they're like pissed about this because yeah, after the first time especially, and they get mad about it again, like don't shouldn't they realize this is it? This is yeah, what he's doing. This is working. I mean, this is I mean, this is this was released in 2012. And h- how many people are still loving the songs Locked Out of Heaven, Treasure? Those songs are still like you said, Dave, they're in heavy rotation. They are still popular big songs. It's ridiculous to think. And both of these albums are getting Grammy award nominations each time. So, yeah. I mean, it's obviously going well and people are liking it. And, you know, just to kind of add on to that kind of musical chameleon discussion, I do think there are examples of people who are similar to him who have grown up, you know, really impersonating their heroes. And I think a great example is Haley Williams from Paramore, who she is a Nashville person, but you really, I mean, of course, you know, Paramore is way different now than they were when they started, but any band who's been around that long, especially for how young they were, is going to be different. But I think it's it really comes down to your preference, and I think most of us aren't super into this very overtly wearing it on your sleeves. Uh, and I think, you know, someone like Haley Williams has done it really well, where she started out, you know, doing these, you know, the Nashville life of just like, if today I need to sing on a country song, it's what pays my bills, so I'm going to do that. If I'm going to sing a pop punk song, I'm going to do that. If I'm a pop star now, I'm going to do it. I think she's a bit more uh, adept at uh, blurring those lines for the audience, whereas for Bruno Mars, it's like, I'm going to put Gorilla right next to these two songs, and then I'm going to have uh, you know, one of my biggest ballads not too far after that, and it's going to yeah. feel kind of jarring. That, that, I think, like, conceptually, I think the difference there is that if someone said to Haley Williams, hey, I need you to sing a country song now, she could do it. And if Bruno Mars, if the same thing was said to Bruno Mars, he could do it. But with his albums, he's making a conscious choice. So that has a positive and a negative effect, in my opinion. Obviously, the positive being, like, wow, look how talented he is, and the, the negative being exactly what you just said, Jackson, where it's locked out of heaven. What the fuck is this song? And now treasure. What is happening to me? Um... And so I, th- I think that it has this 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 thing where he's making that decision. And honestly, it's great that he got to make that decision. Fuck his label for any- saying anything. Like, like I don't like Gorilla. I don't think we as a, as a podcast, may- maybe Dave likes Gorilla. I don't know. Regardless, uh, good for him for putting on his album. Good for him for going, I wrote this song, and I think it's worthy of my album. It's going on my album. Yeah. And, you know, we start to see it get a little more... like tied into one style on the third record yeah yeah so uh so before that um here is your can you finish the line challenge for this album you guys ready let's do it all right that i should have bought you flowers and held your hand yeah yeah okay yeah that's correct that's correct the next line is should have gave you all my hours when i was your man no too early okay Anyone else? Uh, I'm sorry. You guys are going to have to take this one up because this is where the nostalgia runs out because I don't know any of the songs on this album until I'll, this I'll, week. I'll go, I'll go as far as you've gotten so far one more time. That uh, I should have bought you flowers and held your hand 
uh, should have given you all my hours. Doom, 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 You're doom, my wonder wall. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's it. I don't know something about a gorilla, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's. Uh, I should have brought you flowers and held your hand. Should have give you all my hours. Fuck like a gorilla. Uh, <laughs> it's God, so he's it's just uh, so good at writing. Should <laughs> should have bought you flowers. Held your hand. Should have give you gave you all my hours when I had the chance. Take you to every party because all you want to do was dance. Now my baby's dancing, but she's dancing with another man. Uptown, oh. funk you up. Uptown, funk you up. <laughs> He only says that when I was your man at the end of the song. The very end of the song is the only time he says the title. I mean, Dave had the right song, at least. I'm sorry, Hagen. We, as the podcast, listen to you uh, bare your soul and tell us how much you like that song. And then all of us spat in your face and said, we don't know that song. <laughs> listen, I, that's fine. That's fine. I don't, I, like, I, I, apparently this was my, like, like subconscious guilty pleasure. Like, I, I forgot this was my guilty pleasure. So, whatever. Uh, it's totally fine. So, Dave has one point. Jackson has three. Oh, man. I felt good about myself for a second. <laughs> Jackson finished that I don't whole, know how I got three. He, he finished that, he finished <laughs> that he whole section everything. of lyrics. He got it all right. Yeah. Yeah. I could probably pick up a guitar and make my way uh, from muscle memory around count on me if you want. To get some bonus points. Do we get in trouble for that? Like on like uh, uh, the copyright stuff though? Yeah. You know, you could change the lyrics. Yeah. (laughs) Just, just use gorillas lyrics for count on me. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) So now we are into uh, four years later. Um, you know, what's interesting is that you mentioned earlier that, uh, uh, he had, he, he, he took time on the second album, but it was two years and he was touring too. So it's like, what time did he really take? And now he took time and we have 24 karat magic, uh, in 2016. By the way, by taking time, he did a massive tour and then also played, uh, the Super Bowl what, twice? Uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, still, four years is is more than two, on the other one. So <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's it's two more than two. <laughs> it's like in the meantime, he became the one of the biggest artists on the planet. Yeah, like I mean, etched himself yeah. in the history let books. Me, let me uh, we let's let's take just one second, and I want to go around and I want everyone to give their thoughts on Uptown Funk. I'll go first. I think it is catchy as hell. I love that it's still as popular as it is. I wish, I still wish that people would just leave it alone sometimes. Like the hype that I see from like a group of rich white people from Uptown Funk is what the fuck? Dude, (sighs) it works every single time you play that song live. It works every single time. Like I've, I've played gigs where it's like, I can see the band leader going like, all right, so people aren't really dancing to, you know, don't stop believing people aren't really dancing to uh what's it called friends in low places usually those are the songs to get people up and we're at that kind of a gig where those songs are appropriate and then he'll be like it's time for uptown funk and that shit goes every single time you guys have a little glass box on the table that you have to yeah, smash, smash like, all right get the <laughs> yeah, sheet yeah. music for uptown <laughs> funk somebody get, get the, the horns f- <laughs> 
And it's it's actually really fun to play that song on the bass too. Yeah, well, that's what I was gonna say is that like like the the, the whole concept of the song is like fun. Like it's not just like oh this is catchy, but like I remember the first time I heard the drums on that song, I was blown away. It is like perfectly written drum parts, and then the ending. Uh, it, the drums actually go crazy on a pop song. I mean, when do you ever get that? Like, it's so cool. It's such yeah, a the horn stabs. Yeah, it's it so good. It re- it's so good. Adam Jackson, what do you guys think about the song? I also think it's great and catchy, and it's I didn't realize until just now, but I didn't know it came out in 2014. I thought it was newer than that, but I guess not. No, it's just incredible. It's a super catchy song, and I don't think there's a ton of pop songs like it. But as I said, I'm just not a fan of uh, Mark Ronson's style, this over-the-top flashy style. Um, But that being said, credit where credit is due. It's an incredible song. It works really well on that song, though, that style. Yeah, I forgot to mention, on on the last record, when... uh... Mark Ronson was quoted as saying when he met Bruno Mars, Bruno was like, hey, I, I don't want to do any songs with you that sound like a song that we would do. Uh, oops. So he wanted to change it up. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess now from hindsight, it's like, well, they all kind of are like similar when they work together. But I guess that's hindsight. I don't know. I, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure that they really pushed themselves when they were writing together the first time. Okay, so 24 Karat Magic. Uh, came out in 2016. Is this the shortest of the three? I think it's I the shortest so. of the three. Because I it's only it's only 33 minutes, nine songs. It's a, it's a quick one. It's a quick one with the singles 24 Karat Magic. That's what I like. Versace on the floor, chunky and finesse. Now finesse is one of those songs where uh, they they had the the Cardi B remix right, and that came out in like 2018. So they kept they kept the magic of this album. They kept the the flow of this album going years afterwards. Aside from just the singles still being popular, they released a fucking remix with Cardi B years later. Yeah, I was gonna say just from the singles, they had a year and a half that they got out of that album. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it won what six grand? It cleaned up at the Grammys. Mm-hmm. It yeah. won like everything that you can win. Didn't it win the big three? I think so. I think so. Yeah, album of the year and record of the year. Yeah. yeah, but I will I will say that um, the songs that I, I didn't like on this album I uh, I think that they hit me. I mean I, I guess aside from Gorilla I was I, when I didn't like a song I was just kind of like ah ah I don't ah I don't know what I'm doing here. It kind of it was boring. Well, I I think if there's a song you don't like on this album it really stands out because yeah. this is a more consistent album. So if you're here yeah. for it then it's great. But then there's a couple songs that aren't, and they just stand out a lot more. Yeah, and he said he wanted it to be like a '90s hip hop R&B kind of throwback thing, and he wanted it to sound like you walk into a party. He even described the character that he wanted it to be like this person wearing silk, uh, like a silk suit, and he he made a dress code while he was recording it where you had to wear jewelry and fine clothing. Instead of the usual, you know. Yeah, that that seemed really douchey, but I get it. I either I either always want that or never want that. Never want to hear about that ever again. Like let's <laughs> let's 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 set let's set a dress code for every studio. It it sounds like it seems like Christopher Nolan wearing suits filming a movie, which doesn't make any fucking sense. 
Well, I was going to say, Adam, I, I don't think you or I have any place to talk shit on musicians putting these kind of, um, you know, restrictions on themselves when we're super into uh, method actors and we think that's, yeah, that's super fair. cool. Like, we both loved Phantom Thread. Um, it's just like, we we can't. I, I'm just going to go ahead and call it out. That's we fair. We can't talk shit on it. No, no, no. I don't. I don't want to talk shit about any of that. I just. I, I. I. think that's an awesome rule. Let's put it in every studio. Let's put it in. Let, let's. Let's. Let's make a dress code in every professional studio you ever work in. Right. You. Let, let's say that we're Moniker's recording our next album. We're gonna go to the studio. The dress code can be relaxed fit. Right. But let's put a dress code into studios right Let's yeah i was make about to it. be like there's no fucking way i'm wearing a, a suit to a recording no you don't session. have to wear a suit i i would i would i would honestly put like like a, a like a dressy casual dress code in my in my studio right let's let let's look a little bit nicer than normal don't come in wearing your athletic shorts don't be comfortable let's work but look good while we work you're filming this we're taking pictures too right let's look good come on i just want everyone to know this about hagen Hagen does have it, it's not a hard set of rules, but you know he's got a set of rules for stage attire, and it's not just for him; it's for his bandmates. I guarantee you, if I showed up as the front person of the band, like who, like you can see my whole body, and I wore shorts to a show, I'm gonna get some dirty looks, no, 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 if no. not uh, no, no, no. an no, actual no. scalding from. I Hagen. think that's fair as a person who wears shorts because I live in Texas, but you know that's fair. If you're the front man, you can't do that. I was about to agree with you, but like a big unwritten rule is don't wear shorts on stage. Yeah. But but here's the deal. Yeah, you can performing. wear shorts if you wear the right shorts. You can wear shorts if your shorts look good. This is a very this is a very big distinguishing thing here. A lot of people wear shorts and they're these like big baggy bullshit shorts that go like below your knees. Fuck that noise. That looks terrible. Uh, Juggalo shorts. Right. Yeah, those sure. aren't shorts. Those are, you know, you feeling ashamed about something. <laughs> or 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 cargo shorts or just shorts that don't fit you the right way just don't wear cargo shorts in general that's a that's a that's a good rule to live by unless you got a lot of stuff to carry around because otherwise those <laughs> pockets are doing nothing for you buddy uh but I, I i think that you can wear shorts on stage if they're like the right fit for you i i think a little bit of a tighter fit's a good call i will say that if i ever see anyone i'm playing with I, I, you know what? I'll say this instead. Uh, I had a bass player I played with a show up to a gig in flip flops, and I almost quit the band. <laughs> we'll, we'll put, I mean, I think we'll that's fair. That way. Also, as a person who wears flip flops, because that means you don't take this band seriously. <laughs> I think you'd get, you'd get fired from Bruno Mars' band, too, if you showed up wearing flip flops. Yeah, you Hagen, would. just end it right there. I think that's a good explanation. Yeah, and also, yeah. Adam, thank you for letting us and the listeners know that if you ever see Adam wearing flip flops, he doesn't give a shit about what's happening at that very moment. <laughs> But like yeah. show up rounding work. us back to the music, I will say this is the first album that I genuinely had not heard any of this music. On the previous album, I knew Locked Out of Heaven, and that was the I didn't know any of the other songs on that album, but I genuinely didn't know anything on this, so completely fresh, and I went into it, that first song, 24 Karat Magic, I was immediately like, wow, are did, is this the first time he heard California Love by Tupac? <laughs> and then that that whole, like, it just goes through the whole album. But it, it started to work on me um, it, if I could turn off the lyrics. I mean, Chunky is just, like, exactly what you think it's about. Yeah. My favorite song is That's What I Like. And that that was just a jam. That That felt like a classic. And I think we already touched upon this, but... I feel like even though I hadn't heard any of these songs, I genuinely did not know any of these. 
you go into these songs for better or for worse, they feel like you've heard them before. That can really work for them. Or it can, like when we were talking a week or so ago about The weekend's Blinding Lights, I feel like I know that little opening synth line, but not in a good way, like in a, oh, this feels like a ripoff. This doesn't feel genuine. Whereas this, it feels genuine, but I do feel like I'm already attached to it and have some sort of relationship with it. So I did enjoy this album uh, way more than the second album. But as for will I go back to this? Probably not, other than listening to, like, that's what I like. I did also... Versace on the floor feels like it's supposed to be the, um, you know, kind of ballad. And typically in a ballad, what you'll have is kind of the the verse format of where they're bearing their souls. And then as soon as they get to the chorus, it really slows down instead of picks up. But on this one, the drums kick in and get a little faster as, as soon as the uh, chorus hits, which was a cool kind of changing up that format of the ballad. Yeah, uh, my favorite track was Perm because I was just like, all right, cool. There's a moment of like straight up James Brown on this record. And it's like, couldn't be more. But he has a, a way of, like you said, Jackson, doing something that feels really familiar, but making it feel familiar in 2016, you know, especially when it came out in 2016. Uh, even now, still in 2021, this stuff still sounds relevant. And you can see how much of an effect this record and Uptown Funk had on pop music in general, where people are still kind of milking that cow. I mean, I think I think with like these this album, um, there's there's so, <laughs> I mean, looking at the like the track list in general, Twenty Four Karat Magic, Perm, uh, Versace on the Floor, Finesse, those are the ones that stick out to me as like the style of the album, Chunky as well. But like, and that, that's what I like. I don't think that's what I like fits with the style. I think that's what I like is an amazing song. But I don't think I think that's what I like is the pop song on the album. You know, I think that I I don't think it fits with the 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 '90s hip hop style, '90s R&B style vibe. I think it it fits as a 2016 pop song. I think all these other ones fit as like a look at Bruno Mars doing this thing from you know he's he's doing this like '90s like you said R&B hip hop thing. Um, but I, I, I think that there's something about it. Maybe it just gets old. I don't know. Maybe it's just some of the songs. Maybe I'm just a dumbass. I think that most of them just like kind of just sit meh for me. Like, Perm was cool. Uh, 24 Karat Magic is the party. That's the fucking party. Yeah, it seems weird that that's the first song, actually, because then it's that's kind of it. Well, it's got Mr. Talkbox on the intro. It's a good opening for a record. Well, and it and it is. It, I mean, it really feels like you've walked like like you walked into a party. Like it it, it feels it feels very, um, it feels like a lot of energy right in your face immediately, and not in a way where it's like, I'm screaming at you, but like, ooh, okay, yeah, I can get this. This is wonderful. I'm having a good time. Uh, yeah. So I'm- Adam walked into a party that came out ten days after the 2016 election. You know. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you couldn't plan for everything. <laughs> uh and a r- relatively important uh a thing to mention is production on this was again the smizingtons but the smizingtons smartened up just a little bit and kind of changed their name but just a little bit not really too much and their name is now shampoo press and curl uh <laughs> and then another group called the stereotypes what well, he'd also in the time between the second and third albums he stopped producing songs for other album artists right uh i think he was doing it a little bit because i mean uh he, he well he, he was wrote... more i guess selective about it 
Yeah, so. he wrote for Adele for her album that came out in 2015. So he wrote one song on that. Um, but he, he I, that's the one that's on the top of my head. But I mean, he 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 did a number. But yeah, he was more selective. It wasn't like this Musingtons had to do a lot of work for other people because Bruno Mars was at that right, point that's Bruno Mars work on yeah. its own. Yeah. Shampoo, press, and curl just sounds like such a Bruno Mars thing to do. It does. Like, to say. <laughs> it's, it's like... <laughs> and everybody else is probably like, yeah, I don't really know. And he's like, no, no, that's it. Yeah. And I mean, how are you going to say no? Like, honestly, yeah. like, like if, I, if, if, the, if the four of us are in the room and I'm like, all right, let's, um, we're going we're gonna to start like a, a, a podcast production company and um, we're going to call it uh, Shampoo, Press, and Curl. What do you guys think about that? You guys will be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But, I, but if it was Bruno Mars, like, shampoo, press, and curl. Come on, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I get it. Cool, I man. I understand. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the production on this one definitely felt very different, I think. I, I mean, the, obviously the songs are different, but the way the whole album fits, it just feels very fresh and new, which is real. Even though he's going for, like, some kind of a nostalgia thing with, like, the style, it still feels very fresh. It's very nice. But, I mean, I, well, I think it worked, though, compared yeah, to... Totally the other albums being more varied and just being like, here's a list of my influences and me imitating them like really well. But that's still what was happening on song to song. Whereas this feels like a more cohesive record. So I I mentioned the critics opinions on the first two records were largely like, Hey, pick a lane. You know, I think he got dropped from his label after the second record too. And uh, for this record, the critics were saying it wasn't adventurous enough and that he needed to vary up what was happening on the well, record and just it's can't just win. like no. you can't win there's no. another example of like it's just you're never going to please all the critics even though he's cleaning up at the grammys and breaking records what does he have like six guinness world records yeah and he just sells like crazy too just absolutely sells records like crazy yeah with only three albums he's sold like what 150 million copies yeah. or something like that Anyone who talks shit about Bruno Mars and those like in, in that kind of situation is like, I mean, just just open your eyes for a second, like get your head out of your ass and just see like, like if you don't like the music, that's fine. But I mean, what Bruno Mars is doing in terms of sales, in terms of the pop world, everything is like just it's unbelievable. It is it is truly next level. So the the production's really cool on this, but there's a great video that just came out of this guy, this great YouTuber Rick Beato. He analyzed. 24 karat magic and he breaks down how simple the production actually was in that and how it's like i think there were like four drum tracks and bass three vocals guitar and two synths yeah that's crazy. a song that sounds huge yeah yeah and and to be to be uh, a little bit of a bummer here but this album was good but it got me more excited for silk sonic it just right. got me more excited for for that. <laughs> I don't think we mentioned yet, but Anderson Pack opened up for him on this album's tour, which totally fits. Like it yeah. makes perfect sense. And that's when they started making the Silk Sonic project. It's been going on since like 2017, I think. Yeah, that's when that's they crazy. started uh, like recording stuff together. That was just for them, just to see how it fit and what worked. So I mean, it makes again, it makes perfect sense if you listen to this album and you think about it in that context. You're like, yeah, okay, I get it. The other thing, you know, I feel like we're kind of done talking about the albums a little bit, but like that he's had a lot of the same collaborators since the beginning. His brother is his drummer. Uh, if you look up like the personnel of Bruno Mars, I forget the name of the band. The Hooligans. The Hooligans, yeah. 
uh, it's been largely the same people since 2010, I think it was. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive. Then you got the Free Nationals, who have been the same thing in Anderson Pack's band since 2000 and whatever. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that tour comes together, if and when it does. Yeah. It's, it's like it's also a lot of charisma and like a lot of like confidence and energy between the two and I mean we've already seen the video of it, of it working but it still is um, uh, impressive it, it, it's it's a feat to imagine the two of them just like in the same space like not stepping over each other's toes I think what they can do is really um, do something similar to what Jay-Z and Beyonce did when they would go on tour those runaway tours is you know have these uh you know, individual sets and then come together for their dual set. I think it could really work out. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, finish the line, everybody. You ready? Everyone ready? Players, put your pinky ringers to rings up to the moon, ringers. <laughs> you took in that r- lyric wrong. I did. <laughs> what y'all trying to do? Uh huh. Twenty-four, 24 karat, karat magic, magic in, in the air. air. Head to toe, don't. Oh, head to toe, so player. Look out! That's it. <laughs> it's showtime. Oh, do you know? Do you know the verse? I don't have the verse written down. Guess who's back again? Uh-huh. Uh huh. I think that's right. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Showtime. showtime. Dave's gonna get ex- so many extra points again. here. They don't know. Don't tell them. They don't know. Don't tell them. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Oh, uh, it's. I mean, tech. Uh, you said they don't know. Don't tell them. Or they don't know, oh, tell them. It's go on, tell them. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's close, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say you tied say with counts. Jackson here. You tied with Jack. You both have three points now. Look at that. We tied. We both win. Impressive. And I got zero, but I'm not surprised. I feel like Dave deserves way more points than he just got. I'll give him. I'll give him. He, 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 he wins. He wins. He has four points now. He wins. <laughs> Uh, again, just just to like kind of like refresh, just a couple of names. Bruno Mars really has like written and performed with a lot of amazing people, but just a couple of names. Some of these were surprising. Uh, uh, Adele, we mentioned CeeLo Green, Bob, Ed Sheeran, uh, and Chris Table Chris Stapleton on the same song, and then Natasha Bedingfield. That one was a b- a big shock that he wrote with Natasha Bedingfield. Who's th- who's that? Um, isn't that but da 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 Natasha Bedingfield definitely she she had she had a lot of really big hits. Um, wasn't it "Pocket Full of Sunshine"? Uh, unwritten, that was another one. The rest oh, okay. is still unwritten. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, the amount of people that he has worked with and uh, written for and or with is very impressive. Um, and his multi instrumentalist what? Sorry, Vanessa Carlton wrote. Vanessa Carlton, that that's what it was. Okay, but uh, his multi instrumentalist. Uh, Ness is very impressive. The first time I saw him play drums, I was very shocked at how good he was. Uh, same thing with guitar. Yeah, you would assume that he's only good at being a singer or like a you know frontman type, but that's not the case. Yeah, he is. He's, no, he's a great dancer. He's a, a a designer. Yeah, he's direct. He directed most or all of his music videos. He's acted in, I think, two different things. Yeah, he is. He is 
truly just uh, a, a, a just an amalgamation of talent and 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 he glows and everyone watches him and is amazed by him constantly and anyone who has anything negative to say about him is just upset with something else i'm sure he's short he is short how short is he i i don't know he's five five. Oh, that's not that short that's pretty short i mean that's still short though that's pretty short that's that's a that, that's that's not that's yeah that's short that's pretty short so do you guys recommend people listen to bruno mars absolutely I will say that, um, you know, if you like Bruno Mars's music, you're going to like this music. I mean, that's that ship has already sold, uh, sailed, sold. <laughs> that too. It, that ship is definitely sold. Yeah, his label has kept him at this point. So it's yeah. It's tough. <laughs> like, again, like I said in the beginning, if you haven't listened to Bruno Mars's music, um, it's, it's honestly impressive that you haven't heard it. Um, I bet you have and just don't know. But I, I would I would suggest um, you know listening to to these albums at least once, giving them a shot, seeing what you do and don't like from them. Uh, I, I again, he really is just he, he just can do everything the way that maybe you want it to. Uh, like like if, if you like reggae, he's got that. If you like rock, he's got that. There's a pretty good chance that you will like what he has to offer in those versions. So I strongly suggest giving them a shot. Um, and seeing if you do like it. And, and that's for the first two albums. For 24 Karat Magic, I mean, if you like 90s hip-hop and 90s uh, R&B, that's, I mean, that's it. It's, it's, that's exactly what you're looking for. Well, and if you ever get a chance, obviously go see him live. But even if you can't go see him live, watch any of his live performances. He's just in, an incredible performer. I mean, I was already looking forward to the uh, Silk Sonic album, but now especially, you know, more than before. Yes, yeah, the Silk Sonic album is going to be very cool. Um, very much looking forward to that. And uh, and don't listen to Jackson. The second album is good. I think it has my favorite song. It's my favorite song. You know, so that's that's good enough for me. It doesn't matter that Gorillas on there. My favorite song is on that album. Um, so thank you all for listening. Thank you all for uh, you know going through this Bruno Mars journey with us. Go check it out if you haven't checked it out. Uh, if you have not pressed that follow or subscribe button, do us a favor and go ahead and press that there button. It's right there in front of you, and it helps us out a lot. If you're listening on the uh, Apple Podcasts, just you know, rate us a little review. Give us a little five-star review. That does help a ton. Uh, and you can find us on all your social medias, Don't Feed the Artist, DFTA Podcast. Um, and that's I think that's about it. Press that follow button. Anybody else got anything? Thanks for listening. Yeah? All right, cool. Well, then fuck off. Give me a tail. Oh, here it is. I'm going to read this comment to you guys really, really quick on Gorilla. Who else gets this feeling of such hurt on Isabella's face during the sprinkler scene because of what she heard the girl say that he can't be tied down and that he doesn't love her, etc.? That's why she set his guitar on fire and why she walks off the stage. Sorry, but I feel this romantic feeling when he goes to the run after her, proving that he does have feelings for her. Lol, I know I'm a hopeless romantic. Who also feels that there is no way that boy had those steamy sex scenes in the car without having a bodily reaction? He's a freaky deaky, so you know that he had to have felt something. Just saying. I read an interview one time. This is still the same comment. I read an interview one time where the director, question mark, 
said that there was a much longer video with other car scenes and Guzman, the owner, being really angry about all something, but scenes were cut. I wish we could see the full video. Bruno is just brilliant and all around brilliant and everything touches, turns to 24 karat magic. Shaking my damn head, the VMA's version chokes me up with his moves and his screams. Hey, I ain't dead.